what is up everybody this is granny shot once again joined here as always with don and delco this is our first episode back after the favorite night of the year for us at least the nba draft whole lot of interesting stuff happened how you guys feeling today i'm good it was a it was a really fun draft i don't know if anything was incredibly shocking sometimes we get those big shocks on draft nights everything Seemed to go according to plan, but yeah, it was still a lot of fun and looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, it was a fun time. Beautiful morning here. I'm just excited to talk about the draft and now the future free agency implications and right the, the pecking order of all these teams are starting to change dramatically. So excited to talk about that. Yeah, and you, you mentioned free agency and, and the draft night had a lot of not necessarily free agency moves, but trades, a lot of different established players moving around. We're going to briefly touch on those, but dedicate more of an episode specific to that later on. So we're going to try to avoid going to that down that rabbit hole and stick specifically to draft night implications. Um, One thing I do want to get into is, is just right away as a draft recap. So if you listen to some of our former episodes where we did our granny mock, just real quick, some stats into how we performed against the, the reality. Now, before I do that, I'm going to defend ourselves a little bit here and that our mock draft was what the teams should do. We were not making a prediction of what was going to happen. Isn't that right? Yeah, honestly, it's just that's on the GMs for not paying attention to, to granny shot. We gave them these picks on a silver platter and they decided to ignore them. But, but seriously, I think... I think the top three was was pretty much what everyone expected, and I think a mock would have a granny mock would have gone differently. But uh, I stand by our picks, and we'll have another episode in a couple of years and so, show how right we all were. Yeah, and and, and even though the you know we we were only one pick actually matched in the and that was Lamelo Ball at number three in reality with the granny mock. However, ten out of the first eleven players in the granny mock also went in reality, just in a different variation of order as well as 11 out of the first 14. So 11 out of the out of the 14 lottery picks were in the granny mock. That also went in the actual draft. And we also had Cole Anthony in our lottery, and he went number 15. So I'm going to give us a little bit of credit there as well. Um, so not a whole bunch of difference there, just kind of a, a varying of opinions in the order of those top players. Yeah, I think it's likely that a few GMs listened and, and took our picks, just you know, not the exact ones at the exact spot. So you're welcome. Yeah. Let's jump right into some top pick lottery analysis. So to your point, there wasn't any real shockers. Uh, We didn't see Anthony Bennett type player swoop in for the number one pick, Um, which, you know, honestly, I kind of always thought might be possible. And I think, you know, maybe Delco thought that was possible since he picked Okongwu at number one. Not saying Okongwu is going to be Anthony Bennett, but it would have been a surprise in the sense that Anthony Bennett was back in the day. But we've got Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, one, two, three. We No one really knew for sure that was going to happen until moments before the draft. I think there was always that sense of we're not quite sure what the teams are going to do here, and that made the draft particularly fun. But that's what ended up happening. The Wolves go Anthony Edwards at number one. Let's talk about that real quick. Do you guys think that was the right pick for them? I mean, I know that you know in our granny mock draft, we had other people going there. But um, what are your thoughts on Anthony Edwards over James Wiseman and Lamelo Ball? Yeah, I, th- I think I mentioned when I picked Okongwu that there's not a chance in hell that would actually happen. Some people thought Ball would go here just purely because he was considered the best overall available 
Um, I didn't really think that made sense next to D'Angelo Williams, so I always had Edwards going here. Edwards still scares me. I think he's got a really high ceiling, but I really do think his floor is is lower than you would you would hope to have with the first pick. But I think it's what the what the T Wolves had to do. I don't really think they had much of a choice here unless they were able to trade back, which I'm sure they tried. And I just don't think the market was there for the Wolves or the Warriors. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. D'Angelo Russell is is a solid player, so he's probably going to be more of a ball handler, right? He needs he needs the ball to be efficient. I don't like Anthony Edwards. I've publicly stated that on the podcast. I did agree with him going to Minnesota was probably the best fit considering what's on the board. And I know they did try to trade out of that position, but we're asking way too much, especially in an uncertain draft. It just, they weren't able to get any of the, the tools that they needed to really build up the team. So Anthony Edwards, it makes sense. I don't love it personally, but it does make sense. I think I'm higher on Anthony Edwards than both of you guys. Um, I think it was the right pick, but I I agree with you guys. I'm sure they tried to move the pick. We know they tried to move the pick. Everybody knows they tried to move the pick. And I think the reason that these three guys ended up going one, two, three is one, because no one was really that interested in moving into the top three, because I don't think they thought there was any sure thing in the top three. There was a sense of risk for all three of those guys. So teams really weren't willing to give up a lot. So the market to move back was really slim, right? And I think that's part of the argument we've made multiple times here is that this draft is deeper than it is top-heavy. And I think each of these teams were probably scared to make a out-of-the-ordinary pick at 1-2-3, right? They, they go with the one that seems like the obvious choice, even if you know maybe they're not 100% sure it's going to be the best, the best guy, right? Maybe they think a guy that actually is projected to go 8-9-10, is the right choice but we'll see i mean i think that's that's to be determined and that's something that you can't really know for multiple years after the draft yeah i, I think every every team in the top three made the safe pick i think okongwu probably would have been a better fit for this warriors team and competing right away and knowing you have a sure thing especially as you're going for a, a championship run even though uh unfortunately clay will not be a part of that and then with the charlotte hornets you know i, I know i've been on the podcast talking about ball and how I'm not sure that I really have the faith in him that everyone else seems to have. But if you're the Charlotte Hornets and LaMelo Ball, who's considered the number one prospect, falls to one, it's it's a perfect fit. And at the very least, you're going to sell some gear and tickets. So I think everyone went with the safe pick and all of these guys come with good bit of upside. So don't don't hate any of the picks, even though it's not where the granny mock went. I don't think there's any downside with where people were drafted in the top three. I do know Charlotte tried to, there was talks about Charlotte trading up to one. And I think that was to actually grab LaMelo ball. But again, uh, Minnesota was asking for way too much. And at the end of the day, Charlotte's backcourt, it is, you know, Tay Graham and Terry Rozier. And while they're promising players and good players, it's nothing to build a franchise on. And LaMelo, I think was, one of the steals of the draft, in my opinion, just because of the presence that he brings and the uh, the opportunity to reface a franchise. And I've stated that before. I, I wouldn't call Lamelo a steal by any means, uh, but I would say that I give the Hornets credit and not trying to get cute there. I think in a lot of times in the past, the Hornets would try to get cute and reach for somebody or take some established college player that has no upside. So I gives the Hornets some credit there. Now back to the Warriors. 
That's my least favorite pick in the top three. It's easy to say, you know, the Warriors need a center. They should draft a center, and Wiseman's the number one center on most people's big boards. But I made this argument before, right? I, I, I think that the Warriors are have a very narrow window to win now, and I think they could have gotten somebody that would help them now more easily. Not more easily. I think that the Warriors could have picked somebody else that would have been able to step in and, and help them immediately as opposed to Wiseman, who I think only gives them a handful of minutes a game personally. Yeah, and the question remains if they had found out about the Achilles tear with Clay, right? You know, with with the draft up looming, would they have chosen differently and traded back and tried to go for someone like Okoro or, you know, someone who's fitting that model a little bit better instead of yeah? Do you, Do you think that the news of Clay altered their draft choice at all? Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. But what do I know? I don't think so either. The fact that it broke a little bit before the draft means that the Warriors had an idea of it well in advance of that. I think they probably started sweating a little bit that such a big change was coming so soon after draft day. And my thought is maybe their bar even lowered for what they would have accepted uh, for that two overall pick if they could get some um, clay replacement back. But at the end of the day, I think they were going Wiseman regardless here. Unless Wiseman went one overall, of course. And in that case, I think Hayes was a realistic option as well as Okongwu. Yeah, there's just so much uncertainty, um, not only about the top three and how that or again how that order would fall in place, but then again, not really knowing if it was a full tear or what the extent of his injury was. I mean, this happened just an hour, two hours before draft actually took place. So maybe teams, I mean, obviously teams heard the news of, of Clay, the injury that occurred to him, and then... Maybe Golden State was trying to get out of that position. And again, a lot from what I've heard, Minnesota was asking for a lot from Charlotte. And <laughs> Golden State probably tried to do the same thing, which was like offer up that pick for way more than it was worth. And teams called their bullshit. Yeah, I think we, we the consensus is all three teams made the safe pick. I, I certainly wouldn't have wanted to be the Warriors on that draft night, hearing the news of Clay Thompson hours before the draft, that would have been a very tough position for them, but they end up going with Wiseman and and here we are all three teams with the safe pick. So um, let's get into what I think is more of the fun stuff, uh, which is the rest of the lottery and the rest of the draft. Um, I think what we're going to do here, and I think what would be fun for us is to kind of work through our overall draft grades. So similar to how we worked the granny mock draft, go to each person. Let's talk about winners and losers from the draft. Your top team, your top pick, um, as well as who you thought really swung and missed, right? Teams that you think um, either overreached or just made horrible picks. Delco, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, let's hear your top winners of the draft. Well, I'm not sure who my number one is, Ryan, but I do think that the 76ers came out much stronger than they went in on draft night. They moved away from Al Horford. Uh, they got Seth Curry back, which which provides some much needing, needed shooting. I was bringing up Maxi a little bit on the mock draft. I think Maxi is an, an absolute steal um, at 21 where they got him, and I think he, he's got a lot of potential if he can build upon the skills that he has and develop a shot to fit in really well on that Sixers roster next to Ben Simmons. And then I think in the second round, they got some good value too. Isaiah Joe at 49 and Paul Reed, someone that I was really interested in um, earlier in the second round, and I'm surprised that he fell so far. So I think Maury is getting his fingerprints on this team right away. 
It's no secret that I was never a big fan of the process and was enjoying watching that team fail, but it seems as if Maury from day one is putting them in a real chance to succeed this year, and I think they walk away as clear winners on draft night. So I don't love any of the picks. Like I'm not like none of them jump out at me as like, oh, that was a great pick by the Sixers, but their draft night, right, was you could almost say phenomenal. Right. So they get like you said, you get off the Horford contract and you bring in Seth Curry. I think Seth Curry's a, an awesome fit there and somehow they get Seth Curry by moving that terrible contract. I you know jo- it was it was Josh Richardson. They sent Josh Richardson away. Yeah, I know, but but even still, right? I mean, even just a Josh Richardson for Seth Curry swap would have been favorable for Philly, but they also were able to move the the Horford contract. Yeah, no, I, I think um, it, that, I think that trade was a win win for both teams. But but yeah, I think Sixers did a, a great job, and it's not my favorite draft. I think I think the Kings and the and the Spurs probably uh, did a little bit better from a pure draft perspective, but from a draft night perspective, uh, well done by Maury already it just shows how important a good GM is yeah they definitely did a good job one of the teams that stood out to me was Memphis I thought they did a fantastic job with where they're placed and then building around the team that they currently have I think um, that is undeniably one of the most energetic and exciting teams of the future with with obviously jaw and um, triple J and everything that they have going on there they were able to get Desmond Bain Late, late. It was like the last pick, pick of the first round. Desmond Bain that Ryan, yeah, Ryan's a big fan of, and I think that's a steal at thirty. Memphis was listening to the Granny Mock draft because <laughs> they were. we had him in the lottery. Boston was not because you had him going to the Celtics, and he's a great fit for the Celtics, and he fell to thirty, and they they traded him. That didn't make any sense to me, but yeah, they they, they had the opportunity to take him at twenty six and at thirty as well. Yep. Yeah, they missed. To that. be I mean, fair, also, you know, they did pick Naismith, who I also did mention at the number fourteen pick. I think Naismith will be fine, but I just think Bain's a, a better fit there. But regardless, no, I agree with you, Don. I think the the Grizzlies had a nice uh, nice draft, and I love the the Bain pick down at thirty. I think that's tremendous value personally, and I think he he fits in that Memphis gritty, tough style that that Memphis has really been known for for a really long time. Yeah, and they got Xavier Tillman, which was uh, a lot of mocks had him in the top 30, 35 players, and he went a little bit later. I mean, he went like right at 35, but I thought he easily could have gone in the first round, so that's a nice steal. And then obviously, we talked about this in the last podcast, but Killian Tilly, uh, the former Gonzaga forward, they were able to sign him to a two-way, obviously undrafted. I think that's a that was a sleeper that I thought someone was going to go for in the second round, but he goes undrafted, and I think he's a great fit for that team. Um I, I just really I'm impressed with their draft. I like the theme that they're setting with that team and uh I'm excited to see them next season. Did you guys see that they named a giraffe Jaw Raff? Yeah, that's that's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. That's nice. I, I saw a video of Jaw saying that he's going to jump over him in the dunk contest one day. That would easily be the greatest <laughs> dunk of all the time. The greatest dunk of all time. <laughs> Step aside, Vince Carter. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do love that Memphis pick. Um, I'm going to go with my favorite team as a winner being the Kings. <laughs> now, one of our previous episodes, I just absolutely railed on the Kings and how terrible they are. Uh, but they get Halliburton at 12. And I know I argued against Halliburton in our mock draft, but that was much earlier in the draft. I think Halliburton at 12 is a great value. I think Halliburton is going to provide a good good impact immediately, and he'll have a very solid career. One of the guys that I 
called out as a as a sleeper was Jemias Ramsey, and he ended up going at number 43. I like that as well for the Kings. And again, I know I mentioned the Hornets. I, I think because the Hornets didn't get cute, I like their draft as an as an AA plus range, although I don't like the Vernon Carey pick. I think he's kind of a dinosaur, and I don't really necessarily see how he fits on the defensive end of the floor in the NBA. I do like pick number 57 in Grant Riller from College of Charleston. I think he's a um, absolute steal. I think he's first-round talent. I think he's a guy that has a lifelong NBA career, not a superstar or a star by any means, but maybe a backup point guard type guy. But if you get a backup point guard career guy at number 56, that's tremendous value. So I, I do want to give the Hornets some credit there as well. Yeah. And, and just to go back to the Kings, I think that's really a fantastic pick. As you had mentioned, I think he can slot in right away. I think that could make them feel a little bit better about maybe moving Buddy in the near future. I think but if not, Buddy's going to struggle to get the minutes that he expects on that contract. And what's really interesting about the Halliburton pick is there are rumors that he wanted to go to the Kings, which is something that you don't hear very often. So who wants to go to the Kings? Tyrese Halliburton, apparently. So that that, that could be a really great pick for them that, that turns that culture around and, and goes alongside Fox's Supermax. So I, I like that a lot. Yeah, Darren Fox got paid. Um, one other that I just want to mention is the Pistons because they picked two of my favorite players in the draft, Killian Hayes and Sadiq Bay. Not necessarily picked them, but ended up on the Pistons at the end of the night. However, they made so many other odd moves on draft night that I can't put them possibly in my winner's role here, but I do like those two picks. I just really have no clue what the hell the Pistons are doing. So we might end up talking about that in losers and least favorite picks, which I want to transition to now. So we've, we've got some of the clear winners there. Let's talk about some of the losers. Don, I'm going to come to you first here. Uh, who's your least favorite pick, maybe least favorite team performance in the draft or draft night? We'll just slide right on in. Obviously, my least favorite pick was Isaiah Stewart. I think I, I, it's hard to talk about like the Pistons as a whole being the worst draft, but it almost feels like even though all the good they did, it was like one foot forward, two steps back. I don't understand the Isaiah Stewart draft pick whatsoever. I thought that was a tremendous reach. Given what they're doing now that, and especially now what's unfolding in the free agency, I just don't, I thought that was such a reach for a player of his caliber. There's players like Sadiq, uh, Precious, Tyrese Maxey, um, Josh Green, like some really great players on the they, board. Arge, Arge, they ended up with Sadiq. They did it. <laughs> Yeah, they uh, did end up with yeah, City. Yeah, sorry, I was just. But like, your point stands. Yeah, there, but but like even at that point, like I would have taken him instead of Isaiah Stewart because he could have been gone. You never like OKC could have slid in and taken him. Um, R.J. Hampton was still on the board. I just don't, I don't understand what they're doing, and it doesn't make as much sense as as I would hope it would. So I think my by far, I think a a consensus least worst pick has to be uh, Isaiah Stewart at that point. Ryan and I actually had an opportunity to watch Isaiah Stewart play live in high school at the uh, national uh, playoffs, and I don't even think he was the best player on the court that day. He absolutely was not the best player on the court. He, he might not have even been the third or fourth best player on the court that day. And ever since then, I've thought, there's no way this guy, and I think he was the number three or four recruit at the time, I was, there's no way this guy's an NBA player. He's a, he's a dinosaur type back to the basket guy and he's only six, nine, you know, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I hate the pick. I agree with you. If anyone knows, uh, Armando Baycott from Carolina, he was also on the floor that night. I actually thought Baycott 
dominated him for the most part in the paint in that game. Um, the numbers may not reflect that, but watching that game live, he struggled with a taller, just as big guy in the paint. And those are the types of guys you see every single night in the NBA. Exactly. And I don't think that that Washington team really did much. I think they were expected to be better than they were. And so that certainly doesn't send any green flags up. But apparently the analytics looked good and they liked what they saw out of him, even though they were playing his own and he was just standing there. So, you know, best of luck to the kid. I think that was a huge reach. I agree with you, Don. And they're doubling down on the dinosaur big man thing by pickups of Mason Plumley and Jaleel Okafor. I just, I don't know what the hell did they doing. Did they trade for Deadman too? I am not sure. I would have to double check on that. There are so many moves and, and changes and players getting traded like five, six times. I think Ariza has been on 20 teams in the last four days. Yeah, it's a shame because I, I love the value with Killian Hayes. And Sadiq Bay, I think they absolutely crushed that aspect of the draft. It's just kind of maybe they're doing a little too. bit too much here. Do less. But I also, different. I also, I, I love those guys as everybody knows, but I hate that they ended up in Detroit. I think it's a terrible fit for them to develop. But they did get by with whatever. They, they we'll did see. get Deadman. They also got Jeremy Grant, which we won't go too far into, but. I did love that. Yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk but about that. That team makes episode. no sense. It's so, like intriguing. It doesn't but it's make not. any sense at all. <laughs> yes. Agreed. It's going to be hard to play 2K with that team. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, my uh, least favorite draft night, and, and it's there wasn't a lot going on for them. And so, might be odd, is the Suns. They had one pick, and they picked Jalen Smith at number 10. One, I think that's a reach. I think they could have moved back and gotten Jalen probably in the. 15 to 20 range Two, if I look at the Suns roster, it's like the last thing I think they need. You know, why do they need a, a guy that, you know, you've got Aiton on the floor. He seems sort of similar to Aiton and that he can kind of shoot outside. I, I don't know. It just, it's like for a team that just picked up Chris Paul, they're obviously trying to compete now that you've got Halliburton, you've got uh, Vassell on the table. Still, it just was a very, odd and I think wrong pick and and James Jones the GM of the of the Suns now has kind of a history of doing some really odd things trading TJ Warren for literally nothing right so I I have to look at that and I'm just scratching my head thinking you know what what were they thinking there yeah I, I don't think they drafted him expecting him to play in the starting lineup not justifying this pick by any means uh, they do have a history of of making big draft draft leaps for guys that they want they picked cam johnson at 11 so it's not the first time they've done this there's just too much talent on the board and there were good fits as well i mean you have Vassell, you have halliburton you know plenty of other guys out there sadiq Sadiq would have been would have been fantastic on this roster so that's that's a major head scratcher and because he went in the top 10 arguably a worse pick than isaiah stewart but at least jalen smith does have a little bit more upside and he seems a little bit more fit for the modern nba i I don't want to say too much bad about him because i do think he is a good player i think he has to work on his ability to switch on defense but he he comes out right away with a a very solid shot for a big man and good rim, rim protection so don't hate the player just don't think the pick at ten makes any sense at all. Agreed. I don't hate. I don't hate the player either. And we touched on him in the mock draft too, as a as a maybe a, a good fit for him landing with uh, the Celtics, right? Either at fourteen or later on in the draft. But like, yeah, I just don't see 
why the Suns make that pick here. Yeah, especially for like a win now type scenario. I think he's going to be good. I think we all think he's going to be good, but immediate impact on the floor when you look at, especially someone like Tyrese, who's going to come in and make a huge immediate impact. It just doesn't make as much sense because it's clear that they're in win now mode. And I don't know how much he pushes the needle to put them in that place. Leading into the into my pick, I don't think this team is in win now mode, but in my opinion, the biggest reach of the draft was Patrick Williams to the Bulls. I know we, we talked a little bit about him. Don, you even brought him up going number six to Atlanta, which was interesting, but I think we decided to forego it because of the rawness of, of him as a prospect. Again, similar to Jalen Smith, and I do think he's going to be better than Jalen Smith. I, I see the upside. I see the skills. I don't hate the player at all, but when you're when you're sitting here at four, there is so much talent on this board. You have Okongwu, you have Killian Hayes, you have Danny Abdia, among others. I mean, I think you have to go with some of these other players that have similar upside, or it, or either similar upside, or they they're able to step in and contribute right away. And some of them are better fits too. So I had seen a lot of mocks with Pat Williams going at four. I thought that they were just kind of hype, and sometimes mocks get carried away and they're you know reading each other and well yeah but mocks are mocks are predictions of what's going to happen and and i think the news really started to break one or two days prior that the bulls really liked patrick Williams. that's true i was seeing him uh jump up big boards as well into that range also and you know maybe he pans out i think it's going to take a while he was a six man you know we saw what happened with marvin williams as a six man on a championship team and he ended up having a solid nba career but was certainly you know not as good as his is his draft uh, selection you know it, it, it yeah number 2 right exactly number 2 pick and i yeah. see something similar with pat williams who wasn't even getting minutes on a team that was nowhere near uh, as good as that unc championship team so you know hopefully he pans out i think he's got a lot of a lot of upside, a lot of room to develop, but with all these other guys on the board, I just think that's way too way too early. But maybe that's who Billy Donovan wanted. You have to assume that he had a lot of control of the draft room um, after his hire. So we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And before I, I come to you, Dan, for your thoughts on that, just calling it out, that was the biggest difference between reality and the granny mock. It was an eight-spot difference. So he went at number four. We actually had him going at number 12. Right, but Don did bring him up at six, though. So it was a weird draft. Yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, I I had Patrick Williams going in top five. The dogs are barking here. You know, it's it's Saturday morning. We're just getting things lively. But I I talked about it a lot. Patrick Williams, I thought would go top five. The rumor mill really just started running with him in this off season, and it only grew stronger and stronger. I think he benefited a lot from from the hype that was built. Um, I know for a fact the San Antonio Spurs were eyeing him at 11 and they had been all during this off season and thought that he would actually fall back. And then once again, once people saw that, and then I think once some scouts started talking about his potential, he really just lifted off. I think four is a stretch. I think he's a tremendous player. I like him a lot, but I'm not surprised. Right, you, you just said four is a stretch, but that you had him in your top five. So it's not like that much of a stretch. No, no, but I had him in a, I had him in a realistic, like I had him going top five. I wouldn't have taken, taken him top five. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. I think it's realistic for what was happening and like what was being said by the GMs around the league. I don't think he was making it past the fifth pick. So yeah, no, I'm not shocked that it happened yeah. by any means because like, like Doga said, like 
it seemed pretty clear that the Bulls were going to pick him at number four. And I also heard that the Pistons gave him a guarantee at number seven if he was still there. So um, I agree with I agree with you that it was a reach. It sounds like Donnie agreed with it as well, though it wasn't necessarily a surprise. So I, I want to mention one more person in, in that top in the lottery that, and also a team that I, I didn't love their draft, the Knicks. I think the Knicks fucked up again. Uh, topping at number eight when you still had Halliburton, uh, Denny, and Vassell on the board. Just I, I'm just going to call that out now. I think that was wrong. I do think that their Leandro Balmero pick at number 23 was was fine. Um, I think you guys maybe like that a lot more than me, but um, I think the Knicks once again made their own picks. Wait, did did Balmero go to the Knicks or did he go to the Wolves? Was that a trade? He was traded to the Wolves. Yeah, but ah, uh, yeah, that's right. But sorry. I see what you're saying, Ryan, and I definitely would have gone with Abdia, Vassell, or Halliburton there. But, you know, watching watching him on draft night, I think the kid's going to come in and work his ass off and really bring the culture that, that the New York Knicks desperately need to this team. I think he's going to lead by example. And, you know, when you're the Knicks, you need someone like that. And I, I don't think he's as bad as you think he is. I think his his defense will never be really NBA level, but the dude can score. The fit with RJ and Mitchell doesn't make sense either. So I, I'm not completely disagreeing with you, but I don't I don't think it's a, a net terrible pick with no positives. I think I, I think he's gonna be really happy to be there and he's gonna work his ass off to do what he can for that team. And so I think there will be some silver lining there, although I do agree with your overall sentiment and there are some really good players left on the board. He'll work his ass off and he'll find a a, a spot on NBA rosters throughout his career as somebody that can score. But I I just I I don't see how he ever gets to that level of defensive efficiency that's going to be needed. All right. um, Any other losers or winners that you guys want to want to mention? Anyone that hasn't come up yet that deserves a call out. I think the Miami Heat got an absolute steal at 20 with Precious Achua. I think that's an absolute monster steal of the draft. He's a he's a great big, especially when you develop him. They have a a showing record now of being able to to draft these these all-stars and superstars, not all-stars, but you know, a uh, high high ceiling players later in the draft. I think he easily could have gone top 15 and for him to fall right into that place. I think they're going to use him immediately, immediate impact for them to make another title run. Those are some strong words. I don't know if I'd say absolute steal of the draft, although I do like the fit and I think he'll be able to contribute right away as a hardworking bench player on a team that's going to be hopefully for them uh, competing for another championship. Also the heat, like anytime the heat make a pick these days, you're like, Hmm. That was probably a good pick. You want to see something, yeah. Pat yeah. Riley effect. So, yeah, I, I think I think that's a good fit there. For for me, three uh, stand out. I think we could talk about this all day, probably. But RJ Hampton to Denver. They have they're known for developing talent. I think that's a great landing spot for him, and I don't expect him to contribute right away. But I think he can develop really nicely there in Denver. Uh, Tyrell Terry, we were talking about him very early. I think that's uh, an area where Granny Mock was very wrong. Maybe Don was very right. I think Terry easily could have gone in the lottery. I see why he fell, but I think 31 is a steal. Not sure how I feel about the the Mavs fit, but the dude can score, and it never hurts to have a scorer coming off the bench. And then uh, one quick loser, Vernon Carey at 32. I think there's a lot of talent still on the board in the second round. I think there was better centers still on the board in the second round. And 
Vernon Carey, you know, he's one of those guys that the Hornets will, will always be infatuated with because he went to a North Carolina school and he was a pretty good college player, but I don't see him translating at all to the NBA. So I think that's my loss. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna carry on with that Vernon Carey thing and just say I, I don't like the pick because I thought the obvious high upside pick there was Theo Maldon. Uh, out of France, I thought that would have been a much better pick for the Hornets there. That's actually the main reason why I hate the Vernon Carey pick on top of the he's kind of a dinosaur in an evolving NBA league. Terrell Terry, I uh, also agree with you, he slipped, but I don't like the fit in Dallas. I don't really have anyone in the second round that we haven't already talked about where I'm sit- where I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe that guy slipped that far, or wow, I think that guy is going to have a- an immediate impact. Maybe Nico Mannion, uh, him on the Warriors, I think he'll definitely give them good minutes right away. Uh, but he's not, you know, going to be an all-star or anything along those lines. You could talk about Bane, Ryan. We already talked about Bane. I'll, I, I can dedicate an episode to Bane, and I can't wait five years from now for Bane to be uh, thought of as a great glue guy. I love those glue guys. Josh Green's another one that came up. Top 20 pick. Josh Green's a solid player. Is that exactly what Dallas needed? In my opinion. See, I don't like that pick. Yeah, I, like I, yeah, I don't either. I, don't I like either. it. Oh, okay. I think there's a lot left on the board at that point. Me too. Me too. I, I thought there were several other players that would have been better in Dallas Yeah. over Josh Green. But, you know, we, we can go through and we could pick, you know, every single uh, landing spot for each player here and analyze a nitpick and, you know, talk hours for it. So, um, I think, you know, for the most part, we've, we've done our, our high-level analysis here. And, um, you know, this draft night's a super fun night. I'm looking forward to see how these guys pan out, and not just this coming year, but into the future. I, I don't think it's fair to really grade drafts until at least five years after the draft. I think at least 45 years is when I start grading drafts. No, one minute. One minute after it's picked. Either a winner or a loser. And then we move on to 2021. All right, so like we said, we've, we know that there was a whole lot of movement in the free agency world over the last couple of nights on top of all the draft trades. Things are still shaking out. Like I said, um, some players have been on multiple teams over the last couple of days. Uh, we'll be doing an episode dedicated to that, probably a couple episodes dedicated to that here coming up in the next couple of weeks before the season kicks off on December 22nd. I do also know that you guys are looking forward to the granny jingle. It's being hard worked on. Um, we'll have updates for you next time on that as well. Delco, Don, any last-minute words for our viewers? I wait with bated breath for the updated Grandy Granny jingle. I spend hours on it. Hours. Yeah, I can't wait for it to go platinum, Ryan. I'm I'm really excited for that. I mean, we don't need the podcast anymore. It, it's really what's going to take us off. All right, guys, thanks again for listening. If you've got any comments or questions or, or want to rip on some of our picks that didn't pan out, uh, tweet us at GrannyNBA or email us grannyshotnba at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next time when we dive into free agency. Oh.